Warning, this podcast contains adult language and content that may not be suitable for sensitive or more younger listeners. You have been warned. Welcome back to the cursed town that only reappears on this very spot every hundred years under a full blood moon. Care to dance? No. <laughs> I'm sick. Leave me alone. <laughs> Don't, touch Don't touch me. me. This spooky show, we are your hosts and revelers uh, in the Carnival of the Damned, the Ghoul Babes. I'm last night's fever dream, Kermit the Frog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kermit the Frog, I'm such a big fan. <laughs> that rainbow connection it is there you go <laughs> and i'm stealing this suck my dark dracula dick i'm lauren <laughs> and i'm the snack that haunts back ghoulfish i'm vivian <laughs> and you know what no i'm not even gonna introduce you this time we all know you survived and that you're here we all we, know yeah Yep, we know. He's he's looking at us with that smug ass look on his face too. <laughs> look at that fucking. That Isn't fucking that just smirk. the most punchable face? <laughs> he's Hi like, guys. <laughs> he's like, what did I do? You didn't <laughs> die. That's what yeah. you lived. You, you lived. lived. You're the boy who lived. Oh, oh. I'm pretty sure that's copyright. <laughs> yeah. Well. And, and boy. I'm all lady, man. <laughs> I'm all lady, man. <laughs> so, yes, you know who is back, everyone. The sacrifice thing is not working out, you guys. No, yeah, it's not working out. I, I would this like is, to this say. Is failing miserably. Very miserably. I would like to say that we're good at this whole sacrifice thing. You would but think. Yeah. Apparently, fucking not. Yeah. I Either mean, that or you're just really good at getting out of we're shit. We're just really lucky. Look, it's not my fault that the sin water was so strong it ate to the bottom of the tub. Is that what the fuck happened? Yeah, I told, right on out. I told you not to put the Drano in there, Cletus. Oh, well, shit. It's supposed to add extra flavor. Well, yeah, it had an extra kick, and he kicked his way right out of the damn tub. <laughs> kicked his way right out of the goddamn tub. <laughs> so, so no Drano for next time. No. and recipe. We need to redo the recipe and get back to you. And what are we going to do with him this time? I mean, I don't know. Starting to run out of ideas here. (laughs) Seriously. I really feel like we need to make him somebody else's problem. Mm. Right. And not in the way that, like, you know, he was Krampus's problem. Then Krampus took him to fucking Burger King. Yeah. Yeah, And then he disrespected Krampus. (laughs) And disrespectful. Disrespectful. Didn't say I was disrespecting Krampus. You got not established who I disrespected. (laughs) It all depends on who wants to give us money. Yeah. <laughs> you got a paper crown out of the deal and you still disrespected Krampus. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I still got chicken fries. <laughs> Ooh, them chicken fries. <laughs> Ooh, that dog of mine. <laughs> so I like the idea of making him someone else's problem, but rather than just one person, what do you think? Maybe a village. Like, it takes a village. The yes. same way it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to murder a sacrifice. Yes. It takes a village to beat that ass. To beat that ass for days. I think that sounds fair. Yeah, all right. Just so... drop him off in small town USA and pull a the lottery by Shirley Jackson and get the town to stone him to death. There we go. We'll rig the lottery so that they have he no gets choice picked. but to pick him yep. and they'll stone him to death. Yeah, done. Perfect. And then they'll have crops. I was going to say, is this so they have a bountiful harvest? This yes. is so they yeah. have a bountiful yes. harvest. So the rains will come. <laughs> and surely there will be no way he can get out of this I one. mean, there's, there's a lot of people pun. in a town. <laughs> <laughs> no. That is a pun. I'm, no. Not intentional, <laughs> But I approve. And don't but, call me Shirley. But ding! <laughs> uh, Stamp Jade's of back again. Stamp <laughs> of, that, that, oh, that back again. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, damn. So, so, I think we figured it out. Sweet. Cool. You ready for this? Sure. All right. <laughs> of course he is, because it's not worked yet so far. I was going to say, he's like, yeah. He has okay, little confidence we're going to He's succeed. pretty cocky, so... <laughs> I ain't worried. I mean, if I die, I die. I mean, I'll be able to stop it. (laughs) 
born in the 90s. We all want to die. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, fair. Fair. Fair play. So this week's tale is a sordid and twisted one. So let's dive right into it. You'll not be disappointed, Spooky Nation. It starts, or should we say ends, with a murder. A murder committed in broad daylight on the street of a small Midwestern town. At least 60 witnesses stood there that morning and watched Ken Rex McElroy die. And no one saw a thing. I can be dramatic when I want to. I was going to say, let's all be dramatic about this. So how is this possible? Well, to answer that question, we need to backtrack a bit. Rewind from that muggy Friday morning almost 39 years ago when the heat fell in waves across the small town of Skidmore, Missouri, and the body of Ken Rex McElroy lay slumped and bloody against the steering wheel of his pickup truck. The story begins on June 1st, 1934, the day the victim, Ken Rex McElroy, was born. To say he was born under a bad moon or an ill omen might have been an understatement. He was the 15th of 16 children born to migrant farmers, Tony and Mabel McElroy. He was already a familiar character to the police in Nottoway County by the time he was 13, and by 15, when he was in the 8th grade, McElroy dropped out of school. Many accounts speak of his father being a cruel and heartless man that would quote beat any sympathy out of Ken. McElroy had also suffered a fall from a hay wagon on the family farm as a young boy, which resulted in a serious head injury. A steel plate had to be implanted. People theorize and speculate that if it was this head trauma that caused him to become the abominable creature that he eventually became. I should probably look back on that with all of these all of these things where people are just absolute monsters for no apparent reason. Like, did you fall and bump your head? <laughs> oh, did you get a little a little knock on your noggin? Did you, get, did you have a brain owie? Oh, <laughs> it's okay. Let's kiss it better. <laughs> I don't think that's the sole reason. But <laughs> probably not the sole reason. A lifelong career as a criminal began with small petty offenses. McElroy had developed a reputation as a petty thief and cattle rustler, while most of his peers were more concerned about driver's licenses and school dances. Over the years, he became increasingly brash and violent, tallying up a rap sheet that included more than two dozen felony offenses, including assault, arson, burglary, grain theft, hog and cattle rustling, child molestation, and statutory rape. Okay, okay, pause. Okay. Um... Are we supposed to feel bad that he got murdered? Uh, well, I mean, that's up for debate. This is a, that's the that's the crux. That's the question. That's the question at hand for this episode. I feel like it, it depends on where you fall on a death penalty and b vigilante justice. Yes, I, I was just love like you that know, man. I feel bad. You're 15 of 16 children. They're saying that your life, your horribleness started when you were born, but then you molested children. So then I'm kind of like, yeah, not even kind of like, not as really soon as sad you... that you're dead. <laughs> and apparently you rustled cattle. Yeah. It's basically stealing, but I just love the way that it's put. Cause I'm just like, well, that rustles my jimmies. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. See, you I... knew I was going to mention the rustled jimmies <laughs> here. I'm just thinking he has like a cow in a headlock and he's like sitting there kicking at the ground. Like, like not kind of wrestling. Like, oh. <laughs> he's not, it's not cattle wrestling. <laughs> oh no, not it's wrestling. Wrestling. <laughs> Wrestling. wrestling oh i thought you were like i didn't know that was a crime Grab- <laughs> grabbing the cow's hoof and just like hitting it with it like stop rustling yourself stop wrestling yourself <laughs> but yeah that's why i was just like are we, like, are we supposed <laughs> to, to feel bad because i don't feel bad that's, the, that's no. the question at hand but but we'll let you decide that spooky nation This was not a nice man, to put it lightly. And for the course of two decades, this one man became the bully and the terror of Nottoway County and the town of Skidmore. A swarthy and intimidating figure who carried about 270 pounds on his over six foot frame, McElroy was as mean as he looked. But there was more than simple brute force behind those cruel, heavy-lidded blue eyes. Author of In Broad Daylight, a book about the incident in Skidmore, Harry McLean said that McElroy, while not necessarily educated, was very cunning. He said, quote, he knew which people to pick on, the weak people, and he followed through on his threats just often enough to make people believe he was going to do what he said he was going to do. McElroy was a bully, plain and simple, and he was adept at playing the local justice system like a cheap fiddle. 
He managed to evade prosecution and conviction when charges were brought against him, which they were, a total of 21 times. Quote, he had a legendary status, McLean said of McElroy, and it got to be bigger than he was. Somebody would hear his name and the legend would grow bigger. When he got off on a trial, it grew even bigger. It went beyond just hammering people and being mean-spirited. He neutralized an entire criminal justice system, unquote. How do we know it was a cheap fiddle? Could be any fiddle. They're always cheap fiddles. (laughs) Always a cheap fiddle. You never hear about the good ones. I I think it's because you would treat a cheap fiddle shittier. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. You wouldn't care how you treat it. Yeah, I was like, you don't hear about the good ones because you treat them good. I gotcha. Okay, I was like, how do you know it's a cheap fiddle? (laughs) Probably because it sounds crummy, too. Probably because it sounds pretty shitty. That just makes me sad. Because for some reason, I'm comparing, like, cheap fiddle to cheap whore. Wow. I don't make that connection at all. (laughs) Not even a little. (laughs) Well, it was when uh, Quincy said that you treat a cheap thing poorly. I'm like, oh, yeah, people do treat, like, cheap prostitutes really bad. Oh, yeah, like a whore. (laughs) (laughs) Like a whore. Like a whore. She's a whore, mother, a filthy whore. Because I thought there was a saying at one point that was, like, played him like a cheap fiddle and i thought that that was related to prostitution i don't know i'm sick leave me alone <laughs> I'm, I'm sick, sick. Uh, nobody look at me <laughs> well to say that was no exaggeration witnesses would often be intimidated into changing their minds or testimony before trials mcelroy often sat in his car outside the homes of potential witnesses and watched them day and night until they felt unsettled enough to drop the charges and if a case did eventually make it to the trial phase, a juror might open their mailbox one day to find a rattlesnake in it. Charges were often dropped for lack of witnesses and testimony, and even if there were those brave enough to confront McElroy in a court of law, his slick city attorney, Gene McFadden, seemed to get McElroy off every time. I hate that I just said that line. <laughs> I hate that I just said that Thanks, line. I hate it. Thanks. <laughs> It got so that people in Skidmore were afraid to even raise their voices or look McElroy in the eye. Livestock owners would often look the other way when a few head would come up missing. Or if fuel barrels used for the farm equipment turned up a few gallons lighter. It wasn't worth the trouble that McElroy would cause them. One farmer, Romaine Henry, learned that particular lesson the hard way. In 1976, he attempted to chase McElroy, who was trespassing on his property. Henry received a couple rounds of buckshot to his stomach for his noble trouble. Henry would survive the shooting, and yep, McElroy got away with that one too. Or Cabbage Patch Kid. When he walked down the streets... Cabbage Patch Kid. <laughs> uh, can we just go back just for a quick second? Yes, let's and go back. talk about the fact that the farmer's name was romaine like lettuce <laughs> like lettuce like lettuce you guys <laughs> get it that's like naming a plumber shit stain <laughs> i mean or a carpenter woody <laughs> i mean that but all i thought about because people were especially in like small towns very religious he said don't go let us pray <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i can't i can't <laughs> well that was... combined with woody i'm still laughing about it <laughs> And what was, like, nuts was that, like, McElroy was trespassing on Henry's property. He was on someone else's property and had the nerve to take his take a shotgun out and shoot the person who rightfully owned the property. It was right? like, that's <laughs> some fucking guts and some balls, man. Some brass balls. Yeah. Like, Damn. I'm trespassing on your land, but I'm going to shoot you. Right. For like... calling me out on it. Basically, just for coming out and having yeah. the boss to look me in the eyes, right? To say in like those heavy-lidded hey. blue eyes, yeah. To say, hey, you need to go. <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> the doctor's gone. <laughs> it could have even just been something as simple as like opening up the door. Hey, what are you hey, doing here so late? Kablam! <laughs> oh, ow! So that's what you're doing here. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, that answers my question right on up. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to ask the time, Jesus. <laughs> I just wanted to know where's the bus stop. <laughs> just the bus stop. Kablamo. When McElroy walked down the streets of Skidmore like the uncrowned thug king that he was, parents would steer their children clear of his cocky stride especially their daughters. He was a notorious womanizer who seemed to have a vulgar taste for younger women and girls that got him in trouble with the law on more than one occasion. 
he was married at least four times and fathered 15 children. His last wife, Trina McLeod, McElroy met when she was only 12 years old. She fell pregnant at 14, dropped out of school, and went to live with McElroy's third wife, Alice Woods. McElroy quickly divorced Alice and married Trina to escape charges of statutory rape. Trina was the only witness to the crime, and after all, a wife cannot be compelled to testify against her husband, no matter how despicable he might be. Like I said, McElroy was crafty, not stupid. Let's go back to the 15 children thing, like father, like mother, and <laughs> yeah. no. I'm just sitting here thinking about the fact that her name is McLeod, and I'm just sitting there, Chief McLeod! Chief McLeod! <laughs> like, was 15 your lucky number? I guess. And then the balls to send the 14-year-old person that you impregnated to live with your third wife. Right, this is like some Jerry yeah. Springer-esque shit, like... It should have been called the Ken McElroy show. I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, it was a mess. Like, apparently, like, they kind of lived, Trina and Alice did live together at one point in time. And nobody's really sure if the marriage to Trina was legal because he was technically still married to Alice or vice versa. So there was, like, bigamy that happened at least once or twice. Mm -hmm. So some of his marriages are kind of called into question. But, yeah, I was like, that's pretty, like, fucking balls to have your two wives living together live together and basically just yeah and rate and like a whole house full of kids it was like right. two white women he lived there with the two wives and they had a whole mess of children in one house this is the most fucked up brady bunch i've ever heard yeah in this is not nearly life. as entertaining as the actual brady bunch no no it's not fucking three's company and 15's a crowd this is just disturbing <laughs> well technically katrina's pregnant Ugh. 16 so they need to watch the 15th child oh Oh, watch you know it. what? You yeah, watch it. That's a damn good point because apparently the 15, 15th child is the fucked up <laughs> one. Is the one that's done fucked up. Done fucked up. McElroy's abuse and violence didn't diminish at home either. He reportedly abused all three of his wives. When his last wife, Trina, gave birth to their first child, she reportedly fled back to her parents' home with McElroy's second wife, Alice where they attempted an escape. Their freedom didn't last long. McElroy tracked the women down and brought them back home. And then, in a spiteful act of vengeance, he returned to Trina's parents' home and burned the house to the ground, then shot the family dog. Fortunately, Trina's mother and stepfather were not home at the time, but it seemed to matter little to McElroy, even if they had been. Can we address the elephant in the room? Yeah, please do. The family dog. Yep. What did the dog do except for be like, hey, just was there? It was just there. It was a living thing house. that was there. And honestly, like, I I feel like that if her mother and stepfather had been home, he would have shot them too. Probably, probably, like, or just let them burn in the house. Yeah, or let left let the house on fire with them in it. That could and, have been like yeah. a frustration thing, like that they weren't home. He yeah. wanted to shoot them, and, and then he, he just was like, took it well, out. Oh hell, I gotta yeah, shoot. I gotta something. kill something. <laughs> so probably, but also like respect these women working together. Helping each other I mean, escape. It didn't last long. No, but and <laughs> pulled him right we back know in. how this yeah. goes. But still, for a split second, it was like solidarity, sister. And then I'm there with you. <laughs> Despite acts of violence like this, his wives spoke up on his behalf, claiming that McElroy treated them well, even defending his oppressive behavior after his death. Alice told People Magazine, "Quote: Ken was totally different from the way they're saying he was now." Oh, he was wild, but he wasn't guilty of all those things they say. He was honest and generous. I never knew him to steal anything, ever. Unquote. And that's what's so sad. Like, yeah, I mean, that's like a typical... We know that's a typical, like, response of, like... Battered housewife syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, like, we're so afraid that we're going to... It's almost like Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. We're yeah. going to say that this giant fucking piece of shit was incredible just so he doesn't light my house on fire again, yeah. you know? Well, and it kind of reminds me of when um, all this stuff was coming out about Scientology and certain people were coming, like, leaving mm -hmm. right. and saying all these things happened. Um, one of which being Mike Richter, who was on the Leah Rumney show. But anyway, mm -hmm. his wife and other people's wives went on to I think it was... Um, name anderson cooper yes aha uh -huh. 360 um, with anderson cooper yeah they went on that show with him and they were like no 
this never happened. They're lying. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So it's one of those things where, like, they're just so... You're almost, like, brainwashed. brainwashed. Yeah, absolutely. It's oh. like you're almost brainwashed by the violence. And like I said, it's almost like Stockholm Syndrome. Because you lived with that violence for so long that you just, like, kind of put blinders onto it. And just, you didn't even, like, acknowledge it anymore because you knew what would happen if you did. Right. And then there are those days where you're just happy to receive a slap in the face instead of a punch to the face. Yeah. You know, right. A slap yeah. means that he loves me. Yeah. A punch means he's angry and I did something wrong. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting because... Even in some of the research I've done and some of the other things, like, the people that were part of his personal life, to this day, like, defend him still. To an extent. So it's it's interesting, because they're like, well, we didn't see that. And it's like, well, because just because you didn't see that side of somebody doesn't mean that side doesn't exist. Exactly. You know? I don't even have to meet this motherfucker to be like, oh, no. You a motherfucker. You trouble. (laughs) You trouble, motherfucker. (laughs) You tried it. (laughs) Motherfucker, you trouble, motherfucker, motherfucker, motherfucker. (laughs) Trina would seem to agree with Alice when she claimed that the reason Ken Rex was in trouble all the time wasn't because of him committing a swath of crimes across Nottoway County, but it was because the authorities picked on him. Quote, The officers were always hassling him. They'd accuse him of anything, even things I knew he didn't do because I was with him. They just hated him because he wouldn't kneel down to them. She even denied that McElroy had set fire to her parents' home, instead blaming the incident on faulty wiring. The women in his life, undoubtedly, also victims of McElroy's larger-than-life, manipulative, sociopathic personality. It seemed the residents of Skidmore had gotten used to Ken Rex McElroy's boot across their neck. It wasn't that they liked it, it had come down to a matter of pure and unadulterated self-preservation. Calling the sheriff or reporting his threats and crimes to the authorities seemed a risk few were willing to take, knowing the consequences that possibly awaited. Retaliation would be swift, and it would be severe. No, it seemed the town of Skidmore was reticent to their fate. They didn't like it, but they seemed fit to endure it and ride out the storm just like they did with the violent twisters that would touch down in the fields. Huddle in the storm cellar and keep your head down until the worst of it was over. Until the storm blew itself out and moved on. That is, until the events of the evening of July 8th, 1980. The night that McElroy would unwittingly set in motion the circumstances of his own murder. That July was a typical one, hot and stifling. But for the residents of Skidmore, something weighed on their minds much heavier than the weather. And it was what to do about the man who terrorized their town. The man who seemed untouchable by any willing court of law. That answer came in quite the unexpected form that of 70-year-old grocer Ernst Bo Bowenkamp. What set McElroy and Bowenkamp on a collision course was a petty offense. In April, Trina told her husband that a clerk in the Bowenkamp's small grocery store had accused their then four-year-old daughter of stealing some penny candy. The clerk in question, Evelyn Summy, was at the back of the store when the front door swung open. Quote, You're about to meet Ken Rex McElroy. Someone warned her. Well, that's alarming. I was like, could that's you imagine? pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine? Like, I just clocked in for my job. I saw this little four-year-old fucking asshole kid stealing some shit. And then I I, I said, put the candy back like I'm supposed yeah, to like do. Yeah, like you're supposed to is your job. It's my fucking job. And then someone comes stomping in. You're about to meet Ken Rex McElroy. You know, like, you, about, you just corrected the wrong child, apparently. Right. Like, I would... Kinda... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I would rather someone come in and go, you about to meet Jesus. <laughs> you about to meet the son of God. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, the the bystander just sitting there, like, what? I'm imagining it like a movie set, mm-hmm. kind of, where, like, this person is standing here, Evelyn and the shitty four-year-old are in the front. <laughs> <laughs> the shitty four-year-old. <laughs> and, like, he's just standing there, like, ooh. Ooh. Hand over the, mouth. Ooh, so shit oh i gotta take out my iphone and record this <laughs> mcelroy stood silently at the back of the store watching while trina laid into sumi with an expletive laced argument the clerk tried to explain what had occurred and that in fact no one had accused the children of stealing to which trina responded with quote why would my fucking daughter lie because she's a fucking shitty four-year-old. she's a four-year-old and kids lie sometimes. <laughs> and that's what fucking shitty four-year-olds do. They fucking lie about shitty, stupid things. 
Especially stealing candy. Yeah, it's like you, when you catch a little kid taking something, that what do you and you say, "Did you take that?" What do they usually say? No, no, no I didn't do that. It no. was on the thing. And let me tell you what happened. So I was running. I wasn't really running because you told me not to run. But <laughs> it was like <laughs> then it turns into a twenty-minute story of basically I didn't do the shit. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, yeah, a kid's gonna lie. Kids gonna lie if you catch them doing something. Absolutely. With their kids. <laughs> No, I didn't do it. (laughs) The McElroys did eventually leave the store, but come closing time that night, Ken Rex had returned. He was waiting outside for the Bowen camps. Bo refused to engage further with the town bully and simply went home with his wife, Lois. Where that may have been the end of it for most normal folks, even those with a trigger temper, it was only the beginning of a campaign of terror for McElroy. Quote, he showed back up in front of their house that night. And he and Trina sat there and watched them, said Joyce Monty, the Bowen Camp's daughter. Quote, that became the pattern. Once, he even got out and fired a shotgun up in the pine tree by their house. Evelyn lived across the street, and he made sure she could see them. He'd leave, then come back. Jesus Christ, this asshole. Wait, wait. Fired a shotgun up, like, did he fire it at the pine tree, or was like, he in the pine tree? That would be, he's like, <laughs> he's just yeah, hanging in now. the tree, and just like, bam! <laughs> Boom, motherfucker! <laughs> you just, thought I was just bound to sit on the ground? No. Sit on a limb, just, and fires it up to the air. You're like, you thought I was bound by the laws of gravity? Oh, that's oh, where you wrong! Think again, Bowen Camps. Bow, Bowen Camp, think again. Cut to the fire department there, because he can't get down. <laughs> he's swinging through the trees like fucking George of the Jungle. <laughs> George of Jungle, King of Trees. (laughs) (laughs) For months, McElroy haunted the Bowen camps and their home like a malignant poltergeist. But it wouldn't be there that McElroy would strike. It would be on an unexpected July evening while Bo Bowen camp waited at the back loading dock of the store, where he was anticipating an air conditioner repairman. It was there that McElroy shot the elderly grocer point blank, a deer slug tearing through his neck three inches from his head all over penny candy over a piece of fucking candy it's not even that good like what were penny candies back then like they were like mary jane they were like bitto honeys and the gross shit that nobody else wanted like saltwater taffy and crap that's the shit that you get in the bottom of your fucking and you end up throwing it away or letting it go stale because you're like oh it's just it's just the bitto honeys nobody eats that like even the universe knows that it's garbage because (laughs) like circus peanuts but You could have, like, a bunch of candy on Halloween, and then someone will drop some of those in there, and it'll still end up at the bottom. Like, yeah. the universe knows how shitty that penny candy is. Well, that Because and... they haven't made any new ones in, yeah. like, 300 years. It's so Necco it's wafers. Just, yeah. It's the same ones they drywall? made from the first batch, yeah. just aging. And so it's yeah. just become, like, lead, and that's why Pretty it much. It's gross. Necco wafers, I'm calling you the fuck out. But I like circus peanuts, so watch it. Circus peanuts are disgusting. They're, they're very gross. I but it would say that... It was, I guess, in I've seen some of the documentaries, and I've seen that he tried to like engage Bobo and Camp in a fight at first. He I'm was sorry. like, "Hey, do you want to fight?" And Bowen Camp was like, "No, I don't. I don't want to fight." And then he just immediately pulls out a shotgun and shoots him in the neck. <laughs> you want to fight? No. Nah. Sorry, I thought you called him Bobo, and I was just like <laughs> imagining <laughs> Bobo. Hey, Bobo, you want to fight? fight? He's like, "Dude, no, I'm just just waiting here for." My air conditioner, no, I don't. He's a 70-year-old guy. He's like, no, this is bullshit. I don't want to deal with it. Like, I don't want to deal with you and your weird fucking creepy-ass family. Like, can you just leave me alone? And then he gets a shotgun to his neck for the trouble. Why, when I was your age, I gave someone a mean Indian burn once. But no, I don't fight anybody. No, not (laughs) since the accident. Bowen Camp would survive the attempt on his life, and the law would come swiftly for McElroy, but unfortunately, it wouldn't last. Missouri State Highway Patrol Trooper Richard Stratton, the only lawman in the Northwest Missouri who ever dared to stand up to McElroy, hunted the assailant down and arrested him on a charge of attempted murder. He spent one night in jail before posting bond, sauntering back into the D&G tavern and pool hall with a cocky and menacing stride that seemed to dare anyone with a mind for it to question his subsequent freedom. Fucking little shit. Like, almost as cocky as that face that our our sacrifice gives us when he's like, yep, I'm back again. Back, back, back again. Just the the absolute ego and braggadocio. Look at that. Just like that. Hold on. 
keep making that fucking face. This is going. There you go. And for anybody who can't tell, this is going on fucking socials and it'll make sense later. I mean, that's just, I don't know. I mean, that's just, that's just balls. Yeah, blatant, like walking on into there. Just strutting on in like nothing happened. Peacock feathers out. Like you (laughs) didn't shoot a man in the neck (laughs) and go to jail. Totally like, yeah, I did it. And now. What about it? I'm going to do it to y'all, too, if you yeah. go to say anything. Also, I'm getting all my drinks for free tonight. <laughs> and my bitch right here, yeah, she's not even going to complain that I just called her my bitch right here. Because <laughs> she's going to get a shotgun shell to the neck, too. Because she my bitch. It's well, you know like what? bitch in here. <laughs> you know what? I love her. I'll make it the pinky toe. <laughs> this took a turn. I'm not really <laughs> sure what did we just segued into possum gut theater. <laughs> <laughs> With your one-man show that you just did just now. but I'm amazing. Look at me go. Awesome Gut Theater, sponsored by this spooky show. We're not sponsoring anyone. We are not paying anyone. Yeah, We're not sponsoring say, nothing. I don't have any money. <laughs> I don't have no money. I don't, I don't have, have no teethers. I repeatedly get, a, uh, get tried to killed. We ain't yeah. paying no one. Your life is threatened on the daily. On the reg. <laughs> I just, I am convinced that this man does not even have legs. It's just pure balls. It might be. That's why he just like <laughs> waddled around town just on his sack. He's just bouncing around on his balls. <laughs> like one of those little hop, hippie hop. Yeah, like a hippie hop ball. Just hippie hopped right into the tavern and was like, I'll take a whiskey. Don't look at my ball. Don't bring it up. You're making it weird. Oh no, Jade's dying. Oh, it was the idea of hippity hopping all over someone's balls that did it. It did. It did me in. <laughs> don't look at the weird vein. <laughs> don't definitely don't look at the seam. <laughs> Even Joyce Monty said, quote, How is this man not in jail? Repeating the question that hung on countless citizens' lips when McElroy so boldly appeared the morning after his release. His very presence was a challenge, but the bond was temporary and McElroy still stood the very real possibility of actually serving time for this act of wanton violence. For months leading up to the trial, the Bowen Camps and Sumi lived in virtual terror. They slept in ships, family and friends keeping an eye on the streets on their behalf. Every breath taken was one taken under a very real veil of threat. McElroy was well known for threatening witnesses out of testifying against him, and everyone had already seen the violence he was capable of, well before the threat of incarceration hung over his head. Yeah, he lit some bitch's house on fire. And shot their dog. And shot yeah. their dog. And that wasn't it even, he wasn't even like going to go to jail for anything at that no. point. No, he like, was that just was like just, spurned. That was just, I'm pissed off that you ran to, ran home. So I'm gonna burn your house down. Right. That's just him stamping his yeah, little feet. Like, they Imagine. weren't even they weren't even gonna testify against because nobody could because he married her to avoid her testifying. So there was not even a threat of jail at that point, and he did that. So what do you think he would do to somebody who could actually send him to jail? Yeah. Right. Also, I imagine, as I said, stamping his little feet, I just imagine like this big guy with itty bitty teeny tiny feet. You just pictured like somebody just like giant with like Yosemite Sam feet. Basically. <laughs> that's exactly what I saw. Just, ooh, that Trina running away from me. <laughs> but if he has balls for legs, so he's really just stamping each ball. Oh my God, he's stamping his little balls. Boy, his huge balls. Does he put shoes on his ball feet? The balls of his feet? Oh my god. Oh my god. You no. started this. I did no mm-hmm. I didn't start this, but it's on. <laughs> it's on now. <laughs> oh, this is happening now. Oh, this happening. The Bowen camps never knew where McElroy was. There were at times several days that they would go without seeing him, then suddenly see him every day for weeks. In this time, the Bowen camps developed their own network of informants who would let them know, sending coded messages if McElroy was spotted in town. When McElroy fired a gun outside of Evelyn Sumi's house, she called Dave Dunbar the town marshal. Why do they need coded messages? It's not like this guy's gonna be like, hey, oh, you're telling them I'm coming? Yeah, well, of course they know I'm coming. I'm 
obviously fucking coming for them. I'm firing a gun well, at all hours of the night and swinging through trees. Well, then it's like, I don't think they wanted to, no one else wanted to get like on his radar. The whole so, town's on his radar. I mean, basically anyone that crosses him is on his radar. So they're, they're already like, he's already pissed off enough at us as it is. Let's not give him any more reason to just show up at our door and like burn our house down or shoot us in the face. I just, I also want to know what the code yeah. is. Just caca. I just imagine him walking. Not like, coming. Sound like a dying giraffe. <laughs> See, I was imagining him walking and telling me like, man, it's this them. town has a lot more pigeons than it used to. <laughs> it's them throwing a brick through their window with a little note that says he's coming. <laughs> Damn it! Light- not another window. Lighting their house on fire to send smoke signals. <laughs> Can we not McElroy's burn any more coming. houses down? There's Please. only like five houses in the town y'all they, they wake up with a horse's head at the end of their bed <laughs> with a note like a post-it note on that says he coming he, he coming. coming oh lord, lord he coming, lord, he coming. <laughs> whose horse is this we don't even have horses ew people keep stealing our cattle and you're finding horses to to put in my bed what the fuck wait this is a hobby horse's head why would you do this <laughs> one would think you could just leave a note <laughs> could you just knock on my door like i mean <laughs> Just call me. I don't By the way, <laughs> McElroy is coming. Dunbar spoke to him in an attempt to perhaps de-escalate the situation, and McElroy pulled a gun on him. Dunbar quit. Sumi took her complaint to the sheriff of Nottoway County, who seemed unmoved and unwilling to offer any assistance. The sheriff said, quote, If you have to shoot him, let us know and we'll come and get him before he starts stinking. McElroy had paralyzed the county with fear and yet the Bowen camps refused to back down. The final straw came in the summer of the following year. A jury handed down McElroy's first ever felony conviction, though it came on the much lesser charge of second-degree assault rather than attempted murder. Even further, they recommended that he spend at least two years in prison. Two years of relief and peace were within the grasp of the harangued citizens of Skidmore, but sadly, it was not to be. McElroy subsequently sidestepped jail on an appeal bond and could remain free until he exhausted his appeals, free to continue to taunt his victims and terrorize them at his will, with the one fact that had become acutely clear. He would never see a day of prison. McElroy himself was quoted as saying, The jury convicted me and they gave me two years, but I'll tell you what, I'll never go to jail. I'll appeal and get off. I've been fighting the law since I was 13 and I'm damn near 50. I've been arrested for over 53 felonies, and this is the first one I ever lost. This all sounds like a confession to me. Like, yeah, 53 felonies. I did that shit. Can't yeah, even denying yeah. that he did them. You well, know? Like double jeopardy. They can't get him for it anyway. Yeah, it's well, true. Well, but not like, when like damn. nobody would testify against him. So like, good luck. It's like if you can't get anyone to testify against you, <sighs> nothing's gonna happen. Also, the lawyer's name's McFadden, right? Mm-hmm. I need a McFadden in my life. <laughs> you know, like, I think I we got, all do. Yeah, right. I got some people in my life that uh, need to get their comeuppance. I got to teach them some manners. <laughs> Some hashes need to be settled. McFadden, call me. Call a ghoul, babe. I think he's dead. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he's dead. We have a Ouija board. It's fine. (laughs) I don't know if that'll hold up in a court. I just take a Ouija board. You just take a Ouija board. Where is your representation? He's right Right here, here, Your Honor. They're like, get out. You (laughs) hold the planchette. Moving on its own, though, the whole fucking courtroom would shit themselves. Yeah, I think (laughs) collectively. They would just just immediately be like, no, whatever it is, you didn't do it. We're just just get out of here. Just get out of here and never return. Take it with you and don't return. And then I use that moment to become the new McElroy. Seize power. But I don't. I don't hurt anybody. I just seize power. <laughs> I don't think you can do one without the other. Well, I mean, I hurt people that are assholes. Let's do that. Vigilantes. I We're about to get to that. Exactly. Interesting segue. Segways. They're fun. We're not talking about segways. They're terrible. <laughs> they are terrible. The next day, McElroy showed up at the D&G Tavern carrying a rifle with a bayonet, a clear violation of the terms of his bond. He loudly threatened to finish off the Bowen camps. No one doubted him. It wasn't an empty threat. The last vestiges of their hope wound up in the system that had summarily failed them so many times before. Witnesses who had seen McElroy with the firearm gave the information that the county prosecutor required to start a bond revocation hearing. The townsfolk even organized a caravan to transport the witnesses safely to the courthouse in order to testify against him. In a calculated slap to the collective faces of the town, McElroy's lawyer managed to get the hearing postponed. Like I said, I, I need I need me this lawyer. <laughs> Get me a Ouija board. <laughs> What's with this show and bayonets? Right. We do have a weird thing about bayonets. It's a reoccurring theme like the helicopter yeah. dick. Oh, god <laughs> damn it. 
I said we weren't going to do it this episode. We've done it every single other fucking episode. Every episode we talk about helicopter dick. This is beautiful. Really, Maybe. though, we're not doing this on purpose. The bayonet thing, it just happens. That just, bayonet just happens. Bayonet just Helicopter happens. dick was intentional. I mean, it was. That was the last straw. This final failure of the justice system became a clarion to the citizens of Skidmore. A call that echoed to their collective souls. The law had failed them. They were completely on their own. They had to watch out for each other. Dozens of Skidmore citizens gathered at the American Legion Hall the morning of July 10th, 1981. They asked newly elected Sheriff Danny Estes what could legally be done about McElroy. He attempted to appeal to the crowd's better angels of their nature and instructed the gathered citizens not to get in direct confrontation with McElroy. Instead, he suggested that they seriously consider forming a neighborhood patrol or watch. Estes then left town, most likely passing McElroy's Silverado pickup truck in his cruiser as Trina and Ken Rex drove in. Word quickly spread that McElroy was in town. A crowd walked from the Legion Hall down to the D&G Tavern, where McElroy had positioned himself at his usual spot in the bar. Their demand was simple. Get out of town. To hear it from Trina, who spoke to reporters after the incident, she claimed that a group of men followed them as McElroy finished his drinks and he and Trina left the tavern. He started the truck when the sounds of gunfire jarringly shattered the heavy silence of that dreary summer day. A volley of shots shattered the back window of the truck cab, causing Trina to dive out of the vehicle to the pavement, while a couple of men standing by in the crowd hustled the hysterical woman to a nearby bank, out of the line of fire. Which is really nice of them, considering that she's kind of in on the whole yeah, harassment Yeah, there part. was one, somebody that said basically, I'd have killed her too. Like, I, when I was watching some of like the interviews and stuff, they were like, yeah, I would have like, I'd have shot her too. I was Damn. like, fucking she's... savage. Well, and she even says like, when they interview Trina later after the whole thing, she said she was like afraid because they, when they took her to the bank, they basically told her, shut the fuck up or you're going to get it too. So like, you need to stop screaming. You need to calm the fuck down or we're going to kill you too. Gotcha. Jesus Christ. Like I said, this though, town that's... had had it. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were done. Ten shades of yeah, yeah. Tensions were running high a little bit. Like <laughs> just a little like, like I said, that was really nice of them to like pull her out of the way rather than just being like, oh, no, you you're going to get it too. Yeah, we're gonna for yourself. You. Yeah. If you live, you live. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as it had begun, the gunfire stopped. McRoy was slumped over the steering wheel, the back of his head blown off. He had been struck a total of four times blood splattered in the stark relief against the upholstery and windshield no one called for an ambulance everyone just went home i would like to take a moment to compliment the the author of the script that we're writing just blood spattered in stark relief i see what you did there welcome miss vivian you're welcome and everyone just went home yeah everyone just kind (laughs) of like pieced it and was like after the shooting apparently like they all gathered in the street behind the truck and then Blam, 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 gunshots. <laughs> didow, didow. Didow, pew, pew, didow. <laughs> and then once everything was quiet, it was like everyone just pieced it. And like, I guess there was just like a mutual understanding of like, okay, mm-hmm. no one, mm-hmm. no one, no one say anything. All right, sweet, sweet, let's go. Nobody made and eye contact for a while. Went they home, went home. Shut the doors. Nobody like just kind of left it, left it alone. Didn't have dinner and went to bed early. <laughs> and I'm sure that it was literally like a tangible yeah. feel of Feeling. relief over yeah. the entire town. Like. I'd imagine so. Imagine like this heavy black cloud that was over them is finally just like... It's finally gone. gone. Right. You know, and it's just, this has been 20 years, basically. Two decades that this guy has been terrorizing this this area and this town. So you can imagine like the first time in like 20 years, there's no viable threat from this person. It was probably just like the sun coming through the clouds, like you said. Right. Do you think this nowadays, like this entire town... Just because nobody moved, they just, like, built their families there. It's just this big cult now of, like, everybody's nice to everybody. Well, that's... We don't take kindly to those assholes. It's funny that you mentioned that because a lot of people left. Oh, really? After this. In 1981, the town's population was about 430. About that. And then today, Skidmore's only about 230. Wow. So there was a lot of people that... there There were some people who didn't agree with this thing but they were too afraid to say anything mm-hmm. so they just moved right. and they just left which fair because yeah. if he effed over 
the majority of the town and you're in the minority that's yeah. like, no, guys, let the justice system do its thing. Yeah, what's to stop like, them from shooting you? You're like, yeah. they're going to shoot me next if I say anything. You know, we're what's, trying to build a utopia. You know, it's a slippery slope, <laughs> basically, with this whole, you know, the whole vigilante thing. Right. Um, then I'm sure some of the people who actually did it were like, you know what? I'm going to move, start over fresh. Um, they did say they think one of the shooters left. Mm-hmm. They said they the... The, they estimate about three to six that there could have been three to six shooters. It's generally agreed that there was at least two because there were at least two guns mm-hmm. um, that were or bullets that were found, bullet uh, casings and things that were found after the shooting. But they think there was at least three gunmen. And it, again, nobody nobody says who it was. And what's weird is because and there's a distinct impression that this incident left on this town. There were a lot of weird events that happened in Skidmore after this years after it was like the sins of the father kind of thing where Mm -hmm. because this happened and no one said anything and no one I guess quote unquote did the right thing um it had like an odd rash of murders for such a small town there were nine violent and unexplained deaths in the years after which is weird for a town like it basically in the middle of you know just the midwest and like just a nondescript town right and i would have expected the absolute opposite like everyone was like oh that guy was a terror and got what was coming to him i should probably uh clean up my act a little bit and get all a's in school and you know help my parents take out the trash and wash the dishes every now and then like nine violent unexplained deaths and things like there's at least two suicides someone disappeared and is presumed dead and has been missing since 2001 um, someone else was murdered. There was a pretty famous murder that happened in Skidmore years later. Bobby Jo Stinnett, who was a pregnant woman who raised dogs. Mm. And she was in contact on a message board with somebody who said they wanted to buy a dog from her. And they showed up to the house. She was eight months pregnant. They strangled her to death, stabbed her, and cut the baby out of her womb and stole her baby. Gotcha. So I've heard that story before. It's a pretty, like... So a lot of people like think they're like, that's a weird thing to happen. This many bad things. So there's like some, some interesting parallels that people are like, well, is this the payback? Yeah. And also for not no to one get, saying anything, not to get like too supernaturally on a, a true crime episode that yeah. we're doing, but like, what if it's just the town in general? Like if Ken Rex had been living anywhere else, you know, he yeah. probably would have been totally an unknown. Maybe that's entirely <laughs> what if it's possible. Just the Stephen the town. King novel. Yeah, that's a very Stephen <laughs> King kind of kind of town almost. Hey, Stephen, come on. <laughs> I wonder. If we it, know you can do it. I wonder if it could have been like a psychological thing too, mm. of like now there's no longer this threat, and some people's minds just broke. Yeah, because uh, they are so used to living in terror yeah. that they were like, no, no, there has to be terror. There has to be violence. Right. There has now to I, be this. I yeah. don't know how to live. Yeah, <laughs> that could be too. I'm that's not afraid point. for my life. Yeah, damn good point. When Sheriff Estes and state troopers arrived back in town, the streets were serene and oddly quiet, save for the sounds of the rumbling and smoking engine of McElroy's truck. His foot had fallen hard on the accelerator when he was shot, causing the engine to run at full speed. No one bothered to turn it off. Authorities found the shell casings from two weapons, a 22 caliber Magnum rifle and an 8mm Mauser, a German World War I era long-ranged rifle. The guns were never recovered. A rumor in town claims that the guns in question were put in a van and discarded in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Except one. The murder weapon was thrown in the river. All that wasted gas. That's a long way from Wy- from Skidmore to Wyoming. It's pretty far. Pretty far. But I was also thinking, like, foot on the accelerator. Yeah, just they said the engine just burned up, basically. Damn. Yeah. Well, for the first time in two decades of terror, the streets of Skidmore were quiet, and the citizens seemed to breathe a collective sigh of relief. While two grand juries were convened, no indictments were ever handed down. It seemed that those who had witnessed and participated in the daytime execution of one of its cruelest citizens seemed unwilling to speak out against the others. Mob justice ruled that morning, and the code of silence kept the vigilantes out of the reach of law. Steve Booer, director of St. Joseph News Press in Nottoway County, said, quote, And that's kind of what small towns do. They just kind of band together and do what's best for the town. In the aftermath of that, you have to use all the resources at your disposal. While in Skidmore, they're non-existent. No one in the town would even give a name. 
One of the citizens who was in attendance that fateful morning recalled to People magazine after the shooting, quote, We simply felt that the system had failed us. We all knew what McElroy was like, and there he was, again and again. It seemed like nobody could stop him. Cheryl Bowenkamp, daughter of Lois and Bo Bowenkamp, said after the shooting that someone opened the door of their grocery store and said, quote, It's over. You can sleep tonight. Now just stand behind us. After a grand jury failed twice to indict anyone for wrongdoing, Trina enlisted the assistance of the FBI, under the impression that Sheriff Danny Estes had abused his power and authorized a vigilante killing. The FBI investigated and found themselves just as stonewalled as any other authorities or journalists who came seeking a story in the small northwest Missouri town. Estes always denied involvement or a role in the killing. Many citizens were called to testify before a federal grand jury, and none were called seeing a shooter. No indictment came from the federal grand jury either. All findings from the FBI investigation, including a list of three names of witnesses who supposedly saw the shooter, were handed over to county prosecutor David Baird. He chose not to pursue charges due to, quote, a lack of evidence to secure a conviction. Even to this day, nearly 40 years since the killing, the citizens of Skidmore refuse to speak of who ultimately was responsible for McElroy's murder. Trina McElroy accused Skidmore resident and part owner of the D&G Tavern, Del Clement, of being the shooter. His name was the only one ever officially offered as a suspect in the killing, but never would face any official charges. He died of liver disease in 2009, and on his memorial page, someone would recall him as, quote, a good, brave man. Trina. Let me talk about Trina just for a split mm-hmm. second. I know we were on a roll there, but <laughs> he's gone. He's gone. Like, yeah. you can breathe. That same quote applies to you. You don't have to sit and get all pissy about things. Like, because we know there wasn't really, like, a love thing there. He he was abusing you. Yeah, she... um. <laughs> She was kind of like, I was like, it it was that whole Stockholm Syndrome thing. Like, she was like the only one that was really even trying to get anything done because this town was basically like, just fucking leave it. Let it die. Mm -hmm. It's done. What happened is done. And she was the only one that even really tried to pursue anything. I want to know. Yeah. Like, what's so great about this guy? Like, to recycle a quote from an awesome movie, does he have beer flavored nipples or something? (laughs) Who knows? I don't know. Like, but she ended up, I mean, she obviously didn't feel safe and then she ended up moving out of town. Right. Too, for, you know, obvious reasons. Yeah. Especially since she keeps trying to find out who the killer is. Right. It's like, I don't think she's making any fans for sure. Right. And I mean, she did more, right? Yeah. 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 Trina would sue the town after the killing and would eventually remarry and move away from Skidmore, refusing to speak of the case even until her death in 2012. McElroy's house was burned down after his death, and the law in the town, quote, harassed the McElroy children something bad. Some of the McElroy's children claimed that after the shooting, people would drive by the family home and fire into it. They moved out of town not long after, afraid for their lives. Many of them are still alive and remember their father in a very different light than the rest of the town in Skidmore. To drive by and just like fire into and they would the just house. fire into the house, knowing that there were kids in there. Yeah, like Ooh, it's not the kids' too. fault. Yeah, that's where I draw. Like, yes, you yeah, got your vengeance. You got like, your vengeance, but some people like took it that one extra step. Right. Yeah. And maybe not necessary. Yeah. And then to like set fire to it. They just burnt. Yeah, the house burned down. And it was like it was- a whole like they were just like scorched earth policy. It was the spirit of that dog that he killed. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> dog came back and was like, bark, bark, bitch. <laughs> bark, bark, burn the house. Bark, bark. <laughs> bark, 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 burn the house down. Bark, bark, bark. <laughs> Subliminal messaging. Right. The sheriff, who some say turned a blind eye to vigilante justice, is dead also. But the question remains, was this a case of the citizens taking the law into their own hands? Was this decided that day in the Legion Hall? Once word had gotten to the crowd, frustrated with the repeated failures of the justice system that McElroy was in town, did they decide then and there to put an end to him? Some people say yes, while others seem to think the act was one born more of impulse and desperation rather than premeditation and malice. A decision that ultimately poses a moral dilemma across to us even today. When, if ever, does a person like Ken Rex McElroy deserve to die? Is vigilante justice justified under certain circumstances? Is a murder ever truly justified? One thing is for certain, don't ask the citizens of Skidmore, Missouri, because no one saw a thing.
So what do you guys think? Oh, it's one of those ones that I feel bad even kind of thinking about because, Mm -hmm. yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck this guy. This is not one of those things that I want to solve and be like, all right, so who did the killing? Like, no. Yeah, I think it's probably, it's like, I'm fairly sure it's like, it's not a mystery, not to the people of the Skidmore anyway. There's still people that know who did it. And I'm pretty sure at this point, all the killers are dead. The right. shooters are all dead at this point. So it, it wouldn't even, what would it prove to, to you know, know their names? It's not even that important. No, it, it's really not. Like, they they lived their best life after that. Leave them alone. Well, yeah. you hope. You hope. <laughs> you, you fucking hope. So. hope. <laughs> Let's find out the grocery store went under. It did. And, oh, yeah. It, it actually did. <laughs> A lot of businesses closed. The grocery store closed. Um, the town kind of died after this really is like the curse of McElroy. but i wonder your guys's opinion on vigilante justice like Mm -hmm. what happened to mcelroy versus the death penalty Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because technically technically in both ways you're murdering someone right so it's like in what way is one okay and one is not well, I see in this particular instance, uh, he wasn't going to stop. He boasted about yeah. everything. So it's kind of the same thing that courts do when it comes to, like, who's going to get the death penalty and who's going to be, you know, just life in prison or maybe sent to some sort of reform program, something like that. It's, do they feel any sort of remorse? Yeah. And this asshole... This fucking asshole. Yeah, it didn't seem to feel a lick of remorse. No. no with I his don't think there bouncy was any balls. In, yeah. <laughs> I don't think there was any in his whole body. No, I don't think so. He was dropped on his head as a kid. Yeah. Literally. Uh, and... I don't know if we could blame that 100%. But, um, yeah, it's like I don't think he had one iota of remorse or, like, empathy in his whole body. So I think it was going to – things were going to come to blows regardless right whether or not they was going to end up with him actually killing more than one person because he did enact vengeance on people who accused him of things or whether the citizens turned on him and killed him like which is what happened Mm -hmm. something was going to come to a head there was too much going on that it wouldn't have just like something had to give yeah basically they they couldn't even sleep at night but it's a slippery slope too because it's like where does that stop right you know like you were saying it's like well one is basically legal sanctioned murder like you know it stops when they put that person to death somebody is charged to do that by the justice system but when citizens do that sort of thing and take that into their own hands where does it stop right like it could be over any little thing right like, yeah like that douchebag i don't like the way you looked at me blam yeah you know that guy parks on the street in front of the mailbox. Yeah. Kablamo. Blam. Kablamo. Kablamo. Um, <laughs> did you? Did you? <laughs> here's the other thing. You don't get the death penalty for doing random shit. You get the death penalty for killing people. For a lot. For capital he crimes. Yeah. yeah. He didn't necessarily do that. The guy survived. The it court was... probably wouldn't have given him a death penalty. Right. You know. And so it was like this guy very obviously and I will go out on a limb and say this, deserved to die. He's not a nice person. No, he was not a good man. (laughs) Fuck this guy in particular. (laughs) If if we could have killed him with a bolt of lightning, that would have been just aces. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's like, but it's like, where does, you know, where do you draw the line? Yeah. You know, where does, where does that stop? Right. Because like you said, with, with the actual legal system, like it stops. It stops. Whereas... What we saw here is that Trina kept going. So then, what if Trina did find out who yeah. it was? She killed them, and then they kill. Well, her, then and obviously people went after forth. the house. They went and shot, tried to kill his kids, and like so, it yeah. just kind of kept going. It didn't. There was no definitive like, okay, well he's dead. It's let's over. just it's done. Right. So we're done. Instead, There's... they tried to wipe out the bloodline. Exactly, and it was just like it was like somebody always maybe takes it one step more than it needs to go. Mm-hmm, so right. that's the dangerous part of vigilante justice is, is like, yeah, it's like things like, you know, comics are cool and like Batman's a cool guy, but like, <laughs> Oh yeah. He's that, pretty swell. <laughs> that shit doesn't, that shit doesn't work in real life. Cause like a, he would go to jail cause Batman he's breaking the law. People. He doesn't, but he beats the shit out of people. Punisher, Punisher kills Punisher, people. Like definitely. there's, I mean like that would, that stuff doesn't fly. Right. You know, it's like you're breaking the law and it's like, granted they put their, I mean, they were very patient. 
I'll oh, give yeah. them that too. Like they years. were, they were very patient. They were more patient than I would have been. Yeah, exactly. They waited a very long time to finally like, you know, put Snap. an end to things. Exactly. Like they did put their faith in the justice system for as much as good as it did them. Right. You know, like, cause it ended up, they were like, well, we did everything that we were supposed to do. What now? Yeah. And it's failed us time and time yeah. and time again. Nobody wants to seem to do anything about this guy. So is he just, are you just going to wait till he murders the whole town or he just shoots everybody? Like what, where's, do we draw the line in the sand? Exactly. Yeah. So then my question is, uh, do you guys think that it was like a premeditated thing? Like they sat and they talked about it and there was this big plan, like, all right, we're all going to bring a gun and we're going to fire and no one's going to know or was it an act of desperation i don't know i feel like that maybe it was they were talking about it and they thought about it but it was not maybe 100 percent premeditated i think that when the word got around that he was in town they're like all right let's go try to handle this but there were people that had guns so, I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that have guns in that town. There's a lot of people that hunt. So right. part of me wonders if it was not just like, I'm going to go get, cause he's here. I'm going to go get the gun just in case. Right. Like maybe he's armed cause he was never not armed. That was the thing is like, he never walked around town without a gun. Right. Like maybe the intention was just to scare him Let's back scare out, of him town. out of town. Like, which is what they did. I mean, they asked him basically like to leave. And then when he was in the bar and then they followed them outside and kind of surrounded the truck yeah. So at that point, did it then, I don't think it started at the Legion Hall. I think it then started the, at the truck. Yeah. Right. Because they surrounded the truck, which is basically, you're not going anywhere. Uh-huh. We're done. Maybe they were just kind of like seeing how he reacted to look, leave or. Because he didn't, he didn't really. And that was the thing is like, he went and they grabbed a six pack of beer and he just strolled out. Like it was no big deal. They were asking him to leave and they were like, all right. Again, that could also be like blatant disrespect. Like, yeah. I don't even hear you right now. Yeah. You don't even register to me. Exactly. I'm so important. Look at me with my yeah. Like, I'll be back. That's balls. fine. That's fine. Like, I'll be back though. Yeah. Like, you're I'll not going to stop me. But you didn't say I can't yeah. come back. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to stop me. I'm just going to come right back again. And that's probably what they thought. I think. And it was just finally like somebody just happened to have a gun, and they were like, you know what? I have a clear shot. Mm-hmm. enough's enough and when one person with a gun sees another person with a gun and they just kind of maybe exchange that kinda... look and it was like all right this is what's going on we're oh, done oh this this we're how done. we gonna do it this how gonna happen this how's gonna go down okay what okay. if uh-huh. it was just one shooter and they just <laughs> double that'd be <laughs> awful lot because those are big guns those are rifles but um people think it's like yeah like was it decided then which what i think is what's weird is that the sheriff left. Yeah. So was the sheriff basically without saying, Mm -hmm. because he said he always denied that he said, because that was what they were accusing him of, that you basically said, yeah, go shoot him and and I'll take care of it. Well, he didn't say it, but did he have to say it? Was him exiting town and basically what people claim is that he left town and waited on the outskirts of town for the citizens to handle their business while he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm I'm going to leave. You guys handle your shit. I'll come back. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever happens, happens, basically. Like, you know. That's kind of the hands-off approach that I think he probably would have taken. That way you can technically say, well, I didn't tell them to do anything. I just left and, you know. While I was gone, the cats played. Yeah. I expected them to play nice. Oh, boy, was I wrong. Boy, was I wrong. Gee, I have egg on my face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, another, um quick food for thought before we wrap this up Mm -hmm. so we see the aftermath of what happens after he's murdered Mm -hmm. say this didn't happen Mm -hmm. and he just lived the full expanse of his life Mm -hmm. and then passed away what do you think the reaction from the town like do you think the reaction from the town would have differed and they still would have went after bloodline or do you think that things would have been different i don't know i feel like things would have been different there wouldn't have been like that fire ignition you know like it's like lighting a stick of dynamite. I just, I kind of feel like... I feel like it would have happened him. eventually. You feel like it would have happened eventually? Yeah, like, I feel like it would have happened eventually. Like I said, something had to come to blows. Like, whether it was that day, or whether it was two years from then, or, you know, ten years from then, I feel like something would have happened at, down the line at some point, because... I mean, it was just the town was at a breaking point. Yeah. Everyone's mental health and like, you know, mental wherewithal and fortitude was at a breaking point. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it would, if it didn't happen that day, it would have happened at some point. 
And even there were people in, in like the documentaries and things that I had read that they were like, well, yeah, if it had been me, I would have just shot him in front of his house. They're like, you would have known if it was me. <laughs> I was like, known. okay. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> now you're on a watch list. And yeah. <laughs> there's people that were just like, well, because they were like, well, did you shoot him? Or do you know, like, no, if it was me, you would I would have shot him in front of his house. You would have known it was me. Yeah. Like I would have done it while he went out to get his mail. It's nice to talk all tough now <laughs> when he's not around. Yeah. But no, I think his kids probably would have been fine if he had lived, except for the shitty four-year-old. I mean, that was probably the 15th kid, so that was probably the troublemaker. <laughs> probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably. bad seed. <laughs> Already stealing penny candies right? and Where stuff. does it end? <laughs> just like your damn dad. <laughs> just like your father. <laughs> just like your father. <laughs> You're not going to amount to shit, four-year-old. <laughs> We don't have a name or anything, just four-year-old. No, four I don't know. I don't even know. It's 16 kids at that point. You they just, just like, they just have numbers. You just have numbers at that point. Like, <laughs> hey, you're number 16. Or sorry, number 15, right? Because that's the yeah, trouble that's maker. that's the trouble maker. Yeah. That's the bad one. <laughs> you're number 15. <laughs> Fuck you, number 15. You just like your goddamn <laughs> daddy. <laughs> so for more about the case, please check out the six-part docu-series of the same name Nobody Saw Thing on Sundance. Um, it's pretty good. I watched the whole thing. It's it's easy to binge. Um, it talks a lot about like more of the aftermath. Like it talks about the case at first, but then it talks about a lot about the aftermath and what happened after in the town. And it does interview a lot of the citizens who still live there that were alive at the time of the shooting. And uh, Harry McLean's book in broad daylight. Thank you to patch.com and people magazine for providing us with useful resources. And as a lot of the direct quotes that came from today's episode. Then, once you're done with all that, please visit us on social media as well as our Patreon page, Spooky Nation. Leave us reviews and feedback. We absolutely love hearing from you. Seriously, whenever we get a new review, we just like text each other. Did you see it? Did you see it? We got a review. Oh my god, there's someone else that likes us. Yay! Somebody <laughs> loves us. Oh my god. <laughs> Maybe now my mommy will love me. <laughs> I'm well, kidding. That, that took a turn. <laughs> Too real. I'm kidding, mom. I know you're listening and I love you too. <laughs> but yeah, let us know what you think and your feelings about this case. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us again in two weeks when we celebrate Valentine's Day just a tiny bit early and take on the original lady killer himself, Ted Bundy, in episode 15, It's Like Changing a Tire, Theodore Robert Bundy, Lady Killer, Part 1. Stay, Stay spooky, spooky, friends. friends.